All right, so today we, of course, are continuing our study on rediscovering uh, Jesus. And what we've been saying here is this. <clears throat> In order to really understand who Jesus is, we need to know him not just by his titles, but by his positions. And that's like the whole theory behind this, that many people in the church only know Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. But the reality here is that he encapsulates a lot of things and a lot of titles, which means a lot of positions, which ultimately means a lot of authority. Okay? And so if we take a look at the New Testament, we see a lot of different titles that he himself will bear. Son of man, son of God, uh, Lord, as we did uh, two weeks ago, high priest, as Jose preached a fiery message last week on that. And so this week is going to be the title, the Lamb of God. And this is very, very clear because it's all over the New Testament. In fact, one of the first public appearances of Jesus, we have a declaration of that title and position. Right? John the Baptist, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Lamb of God motif, Lamb of God position and the title is like all over the place. Um, but I think that there is a depth of understanding that we need to really get the fullness out of this and to rediscover it or maybe discover it for the first time, right? Um, because we hear these terms, we hear these titles and we think we have an understanding, but let's, let's dig in deep, all right? So Revelation 12, uh, verse 7 through 11, this is fire right here. <clears throat> this, this, is, this is awesome. And war broke out in heaven. Like right there is like a movie, right? And war broke out in heaven. This is the future, people. And war broke out in heaven. Michael, the archangel, and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. <clears throat> so the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, he accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Lord, we just come before you and we just ask that we could understand the depths of you right now. Lord, I pray that we can just even go deeper into the revelation of your love, deeper into the revelation of who you are. Lord, whether we've been saved for a week, a month, a year, five decades, Lord, that we could just step into knowing more of who you are. Amen? Amen. All right, I love this portion of Scripture because we see a defeat now, there's an ultimate, even greater defeat that comes later, but this is, this is in Revelation, but this is like a big beginning to the real defeat of Hasatan, 
in Hebrew, the adversary, right? So when we say Satan, really comes from the Hebrew word hasatan, which means he who is the adversary of of God. Now, we see a total defeat of Satan. He's no longer allowed access in heaven. He and his cohorts, who are already, right, a third of heaven already fell, but they're allowed back into heaven. Now, an example of this would be Job. You know, why is it that Satan can go before God and question God and, and, and test God in some regards and have a conversation with God regarding his servant Job? See, when the angels fell from heaven, God still allowed some kind of a semblance of access, which is a whole other paradigm, a whole other teaching. And I'm quite honest, I haven't really studied that. But I do know this in Revelation here. Now it's like, no, you're not even allowed in. And what's beautiful here is that the dragon, the enemy, Satan himself, is cast down. It says here that the kingdom and the power of Christ has come. And the accuser of the brethren is also cast down. Now, we take a look at this and for contextual truth, we know that this is happening at the end of the age. And all of this, the overcoming of the evil one by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testament, and they love not their lives unto death, is written for a future people at the end of the age. But there is a reality because that right there, that element, there's also a spiritual truth for, our, for us to harness now. Now, if you want to have a better understanding of that, I mean, read the book of Revelation. I mean, there is some really crazy stuff happening on planet Earth, and there needs to be an overcoming that takes place, which this is really in reference to. But we totally, absolutely can grab this and bring it into spiritual revelation for us today. And so the real question to connect this to the title and the subject matter of today's sermon is this. What ultimately defeats Satan? Verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Now look, there's a lot of titles. There's titles like, um, you know, the Lord of Heaven's Armies. And there's plenty of scripture verses that talk about the Lord of Heaven's Armies defeating the enemies of God. There is Yeshua, or the Lord that saves, who is salvation Messiah. Uh, but notice that right here, the defeat of Satan that no longer being an accuser, he can't even accuse anymore, is referenced and specifically attached right here to the Lamb of God. Because there's something about the Lamb that brings an ultimate defeat, that kicks Satan out of heaven, casts him down, and destroys the dragon. It's really remarkable that the Lord of Heaven's armies is not necessarily doing this, although I don't want to get into the theology, I'm sure there's a part to the title of that. But right here, I want you to just understand that there is a power in the Lamb that is reserved for Him. So, you know, there's things here. You know, a, a casting away of the enemy uh, and a liberation for our souls. And the question here is really, what really frees us from bondage, right? What frees us from the hold of the enemy? 
What frees us from the bondage of sin, what frees us from all these types of things, is in fact, really, the Lamb of God. We take a look at uh, Revelation 5, verse 8. I mean, this is like, this is awesome. Revelation 5, verse 8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Wow. Each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I, John, looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, all saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. It's, it's that. It's that lamb that we have been redeemed by the blood. It's that lamb that was slain that all of heaven is rejoicing. That allows us access. So, let's, uh, let's just kind of sit in the stage of foundation here. Let's get into some teaching. You know, you raise a question, you know, and uh, like, God, like, why a lamb? Like, really? Like, why sacrifices? Like, couldn't we just, like, skip ahead, hit the fast-forward button? Like, why did we have this time period of thousands of years of animal sacrifices? It's like, man, like, the shedding of blood? I mean, you, you read the, the sacrifices that were happening during Solomon's time. I mean, it's like, like, if you're a member of PETA, don't read it. You know, it's like, it's like, if you're a vegetarian, don't read it. I mean, it's like, Blood and blood and blood and thousands of animals that are being shed. It's like, come on, man. Like, can we just, like, make this, like, PG? You know, PG-13? Like, I don't want to see the guts of, of animals, but it's, like, it's blood of animals. It's pain that animals are receiving. It's death. I mean, it's so visceral. It's so real. It's so tactile. Can you imagine being on the outskirts of Jerusalem when thousands of animals are being sacrificed? The smell! The sights to make atonement for a nation. I think our modern sensibilities would be turned pretty quickly. And so, fine. Why, Lord, did you develop this sacrificial system? And there's a couple options we can take. The first one is, well, you know, God said so. And we can stop there. Like God said in the scriptures, blood must be spilled to make atonement for the sins. So God said so. Let's just stop there. God said so, you do it. Or you did it. It's like, oh, okay. Well, I'll be quite honest. It's not enough for me. That's, that's not a good enough answer for me. Like, if, if, if we're going to rediscover, if we're going to rediscover the Lamb of God, let's rediscover why on earth there would have to be the spilling of blood. It's, it's unbelievable. 
And so really, uh, let's rediscover uh, this, the Lamb of God. Let's see where I am here. Yeah, here we go. The Lamb of God. Let's, um, let's turn to Galatians. This is a really, really an important element here. So, we're trying to answer the question, why would there be this sacrificial system in the Older Testament, and why is there also, obviously, a sacrificial system in the New Testament by the, spl- the, the shedding of Jesus, the, the shedding of the Lamb of God? That's what we're trying to evaluate here, right? It's like, this is, it, come on, let's be honest. It's a weird concept that an eternal God would mandate to man to kill animals as a price for an atonement of sin. Yeah. It's, it's actually a weird kind of thing. And it's almost like, it, you know, scholars or rather like anthropologists, was, it's actually very primitive, you know. Let's like take a look at like what's going on and why. All right. First here is this. Galatians 3 verse 21. This is Paul speaking. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly, righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus the Messiah might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Now that right there is a lot of theology, and we're not going to quite get into that. That's leading up to this. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. First reason for a sacrificial system is to teach. To teach. God is saying, I want to teach man what sacrifice is for when Christ comes. But I also want to teach them something in addition to that. I want to teach to them the gravity and the ramification of sin. That's good. Come on. It is a teaching element to man. Which I think a lot of us need to be taught again. Because you know, when we sin, we just say, I'm sorry, and go to the Lord. What if you had to go out and kill a bunch of animals now because of that sin? Now you could just be like, I sinned. Or you could really funky and be like, I know I'm going to sin. I'm going to sin anyway because after I sin, I can just ask for forgiveness. Can you imagine now sin? I have to now go out and use my money and buy some lambs or some goats or some turtle doves and commit sacrifices in one place in Jerusalem? Not in the comfort of my home? It's almost like we need a tutor again. Wow. wow. So, anyhow, a tutor to show us to Christ. Uh, another reason is this. Um, we know that there's life in blood, right? Even modern sciences, science says this. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 says, For life is in the blood, do not consume it. There's a notion that there is a sustenance of essence of life that resides inside of blood. And so, right, as I was saying, the third piece here is this ramification of sin that we need to get a better understanding of. So it's a tutor, 
Life is in the blood, and then a tutor of teaching of the ramification of one who sins. So let's, uh, let's break this down a little bit so we can understand. Sorry, we're laying a little theological groundwork today because, look, people are just like, oh, the, the worthy is the lamb. Okay, why is he worthy? Right? Like, what does it really mean? What did he really do? So, ramification for sin. You know, I'm sure we've all heard, like, the, the typical definition for sin. Sin is missing the mark, right? Missing the mark of holiness before God. I like it. Sin is missing the ideal. It's missing the divine reason, if you want to go back a couple weeks. And we know, even in this scripture verse in Galatians, and plenty of other uh, scripture verses, that all have fallen short. Right? All have missed the mark. All of humans. We know that sin is, in fact, disobedience. But what is it disobedience to? It's a disobedience to the Lord's voice. I want you to follow me, because we're kind of taking some steps here disobedience to the Lord's voice, His voice inside of you. So sin is missing the mark, and sin is disobedience, is essentially missing His voice, not hearing His voice. Now what's a voice? A voice is breath. To have a voice, you need to exhale. The voice inside of you was formed by the breath of God that was breathed into you. And so in an Old Testament context, this is what's going on here. Theologically, sin kills, removes the breath of God that's in you. Now this is like an Old Testament context. Now, if you're a New Testament believer, right, you believe in Jesus and you, and you sin, I'm not saying this, but in the Older Testament, this is what's going on. God has breathed His breath into Adam, the mud, and he formed Adam, man. And inside of man resides the breath of God. But now we no longer listen to his breath. We no longer listen to his voice. And I don't know if it's a partial or full underneath Old Testament law, but I know this. The breath of God has been damaged inside of man, so there needs to be something that sets it back again. And so this is what's going on in Older Testament times. The killing of a lamb is this tutor, is a teacher. The killing of the lamb shows the power of the ramification of sin. It's not just that God says so, and he wants it, and he enjoys the smell of it, of of the burnt sacrifice. The question here is, why would he do all of this? So let me try to break it down this way. If the law was a tutor, then it shows what happens when one sins. When one sins, the life, the breath of God is removed, just like the lamb, or the life and breath of, the, of a lamb or an animal, which must be sacrificed to teach you. And this is what I'm trying to do, to try to make it simple. Right? The killing of an animal is a representation of what's happening inside of you spiritually. Like, you kill the animal, and you watch the life and the breath leave it. And on a spiritual principle, when we sin, the breath of God, the voice of God, is being removed from your essence and your being. And so it's to show mankind 
What is happening? And so essentially the physical killing of an animal is given to teach the spiritual principle of what is happening. And the spiritual principle is this. Sin extinguishes the life that God gave you. It extinguishes his presence and his essence in you. That's a little theological. But you have to get a little theological, guys, for you to appreciate and to understand what's really happening when the breath of the Son of God exhales and says it is finished. In a weird way, in the modern world, we need a tutor again to show you the ramification of sin. But here's the beautiful thing. The eternal Lamb of God was sacrificed to bring the breath of life permanently back into you. This is why heaven shouts in Revelation, worthy is the Lamb of God. Because this Lamb is slain to restore the breath and essence and presence of God back in you permanently. And that is a very, very powerful and important concept. So, I think that's pretty powerful. But what does Jesus, the Lamb of God, do? Yeah, he brings the breath inside of you, but let's, 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 let's take a look at this. We appreciate theologically and scripturally what's happened. So, what does Jesus, the Lamb of God, do he brings the breath of God back inside of you, but this happens because he ransoms you. He didn't, just ju- he didn't just die for your sin. You and I were the ones that were deserving of the death. He didn't just pay for my salvation. He was the ransom, so I did not have to die. He bore our penalty. You and I are deserving of death. You and I are deserving of separation from God. But this lamb gave himself and bore that so we did not have to experience that. So my sin was nailed to the cross. So now I don't have to pay that penalty and you don't have to pay that penalty. As I said, the breath and life of God has been restored fully and completely inside of you. The blood has been spilled. The sin has been purged. Full union with God. This is why heaven rejoices worthy is the Lamb. Um, when we take a look at who performs the sacrifice, right? we have our Old Testament priest and then we have now a New Testament high priest. In the Old Testament... We see that a priest would perform the sacrifice to simply cover the sin. It's a very important concept. In the Older Testament, when the priest would give off the sacrifice, the the Yom Kippur sacrifice, the Passover sacrifice, what would happen here is it's, it's not that Israel's sin was erased. The sin was there. It was just Kippur. It was covered. But it still existed. It's just a covering. It's like the dirt's still there, but it's painted over. But it's still there. And what does this mean? This actually means, theologically, that the Father 
and you in Old Testament times could, not, could still not be in full, full union. Okay? I don't want to get too crazy theological here, but there's a very, very interesting things of what happened to David and Moses and all the patriarchs of the Older Testament. Were they allowed access into heaven? Wow. I want to get into that because I'd probably be like burned at the stake kind of thing, but think about it. They had sin. If David could go to heaven on his own accord, then why would there need to be a Jesus? This raises a very big theological question, which would be for some other time. Where did the patriarchs go? Where did Old Testament people go if there was no blood of the Lamb of God? You see, they still had sin. It was just covered over. And so the question here is... Not really a question, but a statement. We now are entering into a new place. So I guess it really, it's not really a question. It's really a statement of this. Returning back to my notes, I don't get confused. The Father and you could still not be in full union in the Older Testament because a holy God still sees the sin. He sees through the whitewash. He sees through the blood of, of, of an earthly lamb. And so there is a New Testament high priest, Jesus. And this priest does not just perform the sacrifice. He is, in fact, the sacrifice. And so a perfect God spills out his perfect blood. He spills his perfect life. He spills out his perfect breath. So that when God sees you, he sees the perfection of his son. And now we can be in Union with him forever because Jesus' blood does not cover your sin. Jesus' blood gets rid of your sin. This is the worthiness of the Lamb of God. Without the Lamb of God, you can't be before the four living creatures. Without the Lamb of God, you can't be bowing down before the King of kings and Lord of lords in the heavenly throne room. You couldn't. Because you still had sin. There's still an element of sin. But how sweet is the blood? But there's more. There's more to all of this. We take a look at Revelation 12, verse 11, which I, which I already read. But I'll read it again, and I think on the computer screen, you're probably not going to be able to read that too well. Um, but I'll, I'll read it slow. It's a very common verse, and we already read it. Revelation 12, verse 11. And they overcame him, the evil one, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. So, overcoming the evil one. We overcome the evil one by the blood of the Lamb. And we overcome the evil one also by the word of your testimony. Hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the adversary, Satan. We don't like to talk about him too much. But I need to talk to, about him a little bit because I know he gets inside of people's minds. I want you to know right now, Satan's ultimate goal is to rob, steal, and destroy. We know that from the scriptures. That is his objective. That is his goal. 
Everything he does is to rob from you what you have in Christ. To steal from you what you have in Christ. To destroy what you have. That's what he wants to do. Guys, Satan, he knows the end of the story. He knows what's going to happen to him. So he does everything he can to delay the day of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He does everything he can to grab as many people with him into the fiery pit. Because he knows if he's going to be there, he wants to bring as many with him as possible. And so that's what he's going to do. And he's pretty successful at it. I'll give him that. He's successful in bringing people into the pit. Now those are for people that are not saved. What about if you are saved? What is he going to do? And what is he going to try to do? I'm telling you right now, he is going to try and make you feel inferior, scared, anxious, depressed, worthless, powerless. You have no power. You have no value. Be scared. Your God is not as big as your worry. I, Satan, quote unquote, have ultimate authority over your sickness. I, Satan, have ultimate authority over your finances. I, Satan, have ultimate authority over your mind. This is what he's going to try to do to make you feel weak. And if you feel weak and you believe you're weak, you will not display the power of God. Oh! But there is a word of our testimony. You see, it's not, this is interesting in the scriptures here. It's not enough to just overcome the evil one, you. Now, the evil one has been overcome by Jesus. But it's for you to overcome the evil one on your daily walk, it's not, I'm going to brace yourself, it's not enough that the glam of God was spilled. The scriptures here follows up and says, but you also have a testimony. Come on. And to have a testimony, it means you have been tested. To have a testimony, it means that you're walking it out. Come on. Now, he, if you don't walk out your testimony, yes, you're, you're going into the pearly white gates. But you're still going to be scared, anxious, depressed. You're still going to feel worthless. You're still going to feel you have no value. And you will have no power on planet Earth. So the testimony, yes. Yes, the testimony. The power of your testimony, yes. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Amen. But there's more. To really get into understanding of the power of their testimony. It's not just like, I was, sa- I was lost, but now I'm saved. No! There's a fullness to the testimony. To walk in authority and power. And that's what the Lamb of God does for you. Let's turn to Romans 8. Beautiful scripture. One of the best. If I can say that. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And uh, Jamie, Maggie, if you can come on down, please. Who shall bring a charge? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? 
It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, it is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Or shall I fill in the gaps or anxiety or depression or lack of money? For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, just make sure the music, I want you guys to play definitely, but I just want to make sure we're not competing. More than conquerors in Christ Jesus. What is the word of our testimony? I'm here to tell you that it's more than I was lost, but now I'm saved. It is you are a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, the church, it's time for us to understand the fullness of the Lamb of God. It is time for us to get victorious again. Setting your eyes like flint, having a fire in your belly that says no evil thing, no sin, no struggle can overcome the power of the testimony. And so the testimony, it's really this. To rediscover not just Jesus' title as the Lamb of God, but His position of authority as the Lamb of God gives you a position and an authority. Yes, my testimony is, I once was lost, but now I'm saved. Yes, the testimony is, I have a struggle. And I don't know how to go through this. But my brother or sister had that struggle, and they went through it, and they can give me guidance, and they can... I can lean on them. They can help me out. Absolutely. But the testimony that overcomes the evil one is a greater testimony. It's a testimony that heaven shouts out. That the Lamb of God and His blood was spilled. It's not that you just are struggling with the sin. It is a testimony that says, I am no longer a slave to sin. Sin is over. Sin is done in me. It's, it's a testimony that we do not fight from a position of defense. And we do not fight from a place of defeat. There's a lot of people in the church who are still fighting from a place of defense. No! He overcome the evil one. And we overcome the evil one by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And the testimony is something bigger than I had this struggle and now I'm good. It's even bigger that I had a sickness and now I'm healed. It is a testimony that heaven shouts out. It's a testimony that we fight from a place of victory, that the battle has already been won because of the Lamb of God. And so church... 
You need in these days and you need in these hours to know thy testimony. Yes, know your testimony of how you get saved. But dare I tell you, you need to know a greater testimony, the testimony of the blood. Not that you just got saved, but know that the life that God calls you into now and your ability through him because of the blood. We overcome the evil one because of the blood. I don't have to listen to your voice anymore, Satan. You've been cast down out of heaven. I don't have to adopt a, a view of being worthless. My life having no point. For you're the accuser of the brethren, and the accuser has been cast out. You want victory in your life? Know what the Lamb of God means. What He really has done and what the blood has done. He's given you a greater testimony. Satan has no hold. We're more than conquerors. And so, this victory, we overcome because of the blood. And we overcome because of my testimony. And that testimony is the grand testimony of Scripture. Of you being a son or daughter now. And you having access. And Jesus making intercession for you on the right hand throne of the Father. You being able to be in victory. You being the head, not the tail. You dictating what's going on in your environment. Not being the byproduct of the environment. But all this comes with yet a caveat. The third piece. They love not their lives unto death. <clears throat> if you're not living in victory and you still feel like you're on the defense, Maybe you don't fully know your testimony, but maybe you even do know your testimony, but you're still struggling with your own life. You're allowing your own mind to dictate what you think. You're allowing your own mind to tell you what to believe. You're going to lay down your life, as we've taught on numerous times. And so in closing up today, there is still even more. Worthy is the lamb, there is even more. The perfect blood was spilled not just to atone for your sin. It was spilled not just so that sin can be eradicated from you, but what that allows you to have access to now. The Lamb of God, the Lamb, I want you to hear this, the Lamb of God tore the curtain in the temple in two. The fabric, the thing that separated the holy of holies of God to man was ripped. And now, the Holy Spirit, God's breath again, God's voice again, is in you. Permanently. Because of the blood of the Lamb of God. And that 
is what we celebrate next week. Pentecost Sunday. The coming of the Spirit of God that released tongues of fire that burst the church where Peter spoke and thousands are saved. And it's in that celebration that I'm happy to announce next Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, the church building is open. It's open. It's open. We're going to come and we are going to declare the power of God. We're going to come with expectation. We're going to come with fire and believe that the Holy Ghost is going to fall with tongues of fire. We're going to believe that people are going to get set free. We're going to believe that our community has changed. We are, we are going to have guidelines. Guidelines on how we're going to open up. And I really am going to ask you is uh, later today or tomorrow to go on our Facebook wall and to read what we as a leadership team are putting forward as some wise guidelines with everything that's happening. But I really encourage you to go to the Lord and to pray, to determine if it's time for you to return to the church building. I know it's a sensitive thing and everyone has to deal with it as they see fit. So please, as I said, pay attention to our Facebook wall to see the guidelines and to see the rationale and the reason of why we feel it's time. So Lord, we come before you and we declare worthy is the Lamb. And Father, I pray right now that you release right now. You release a victory. Father, that you release a victorious mindset in the church. That those people that have been struggling and those people that have felt defeated, Lord, that they would know their testimony that it's more than being saved. It's that they're a son, that they're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That they have authority and that Satan has no hold on them. And the accuser of the brethren has been cast out of heaven. Release it, Lord. Release a victorious church. Release victorious minds, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.